Well, good morning. How are we doing? It's good to be back um, after a couple weeks preaching different places and uh, a week uh, with my family in Las Vegas. Um, it's, man, it's, I, it's just really good to be here. Um, you're like, yeah, with your family in Vegas, yeah, and a good one. Um, I'll tell you a story about that here a little bit later, but um, one, one of my, here's the picture, I want to I I paint a picture for us, then I want to pray, um, because I believe God has something special for us this morning, um, and then we're going to get going. Um, but one of the things that I love um, is when my kids beg for me to come see something. Um, and maybe if you don't have kids, you can identify with when you were a kid and maybe you still do this, like, you're like, you got to come see this. Like, come look, you've got to come see. And like my kids in particular, maybe they built this ginormous fort or something they're working on or my daughter cleaned a room or like, and she's beckoning me to come and see with so much excitement and joy. And she's just like, daddy, you got to see this. And I go, and, and just the delight in her when she knows that she's like, satisfied her dad. Um, the picture that, one of the pictures the Lord gave me for this morning was a similar picture, but it's God the Father saying, North Church, you got to come see this. Like, I want you to see this. Like, what I have for you this morning, I want you to see this because it's incredible. And it's where your purpose is found. It's where your joy is found. And I won't, come on, come on, you've got to come see this. That's the picture he painted. So Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, I sat down to really outline, like, what God, what I thought God wanted to do this morning. So I, I write like half a page out of like, here's the vision where, where I'm going with my, with, with my talk and kind of building on the last couple of weeks. And, and, and so like throughout the week, I'm trying to like work on that. And Friday I sit down and I'm, I'm trying to work on it. And like, it's just like not really going anywhere. And I'm just like, God, like, what are you, what are you doing? And so like, I, I begin to rework it. I'm like, okay, that's not where the Lord wants to go. And so I begin to rework it and, and like two or three times more. And then la- like late last night, the Lord's like, no. Like, I'm talking with Danielle, I'm like, like, what's going on? Like, I'm going nowhere here. And she's just like, she says to me, what if God doesn't want to say anything about that? And I was like, crap. It's like Saturday night. And, um, and so, like, that's absolutely what it, last night, uh, in my Microsoft Word document, I just deleted. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what, like, what do you have and he just said, like, didn't quite go that fast. I wish it did, but, but, um, <laughs> but like, and he just spoke. So he, here's, here's why I say I believe God wants to do something special is because um, it's not very often that that's how it goes down. It's not very often that, like, I'm working from a blank slate on a Saturday night to pre- I got to come up like, no, like it's never, right? But like the Lord's like, I have a specific word for the church tomorrow. And so here, here's, if you'll just 
Joel, I want to pray because I, I believe God wants to speak something to us because he wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. You know what I'm saying? He wouldn't take me on this journey to lead us into this place where he just kind of didn't really have much to what he wanted to do this morning. But he's like, no, like I want to do something specific this morning. So here's all I want to do is I want to stop. And I just want to say, God, I want to invite you and invite my own heart to say, God, what do you want to do this morning? So can, can, you, can you join me in that? Let's pray. God, we want to come and see it. This message, this hope, we want to come and see it this morning. As you beckon us to come and see what you have. And God, I pray against the enemy and his attempts to thwart the truth of your word this morning. I pray against distraction and the different things that are consuming us. God, would we just be able to give those to you right now in this time? And I pray, God, that you would speak. God, not me. I got, I'm so weak and I have nothing to offer this morning. And so, God, I pray as you met with me last night and you gave me this word for us this morning, would you come in power and would you speak? God, may you receive all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so one of the words that as I prayed, I said, God, just give me a word. Um, and this is the word I really sense the Lord gave me for us this morning. It's the word tenacious. Tenacious. Any of you tenacious? Like maybe you should define it first and then I'll tell you. Um, here, here's, here's what tenacious means. I think it's going to be up there. Determined. Or stubborn? Some of you are like, yeah, that's me right there. Nailed it. Stubborn. I'm tenacious. Persistent. Uh, tending to keep a firm hold on something. Clinging or adhering closely. Not readily relinquishing a position, principle, or course of action. Tenacious. Now, would any of you say, like, can you, can you think of something in your life that you're tenacious about? Any of you, some of you like forefront off the, you know, like out loud thinkers, like this is your time right here. Some of you are like, I'll tell you Tuesday, you can tell me Tuesday, because that's me. Hey, like I'm tenacious about anything. Okay, tell me Tuesday. Um, so like one of the things I'm tenacious about, I'm just determined that this will happen, is that my kids will learn to flush the toilet after they use the bathroom. Like and I'm tenacious about it. Like to the point where like they'll come around and I'm like, up, get back in there. I didn't hear the noise. We don't have a smart toilet yet, okay? I didn't hear the noise. And uh, because like big kids don't flush the toilet does not go well with little kids that like to play in the toilet, okay? It just doesn't work. So I'm tenacious about seeing that this happen. Um, he... Sorry. It's never happened, right? But just hypothetically, right? We got one of those fancy locks, you know, that the kids can't figure out how to... No, those don't work. 
Um, but he, here's a question I want to throw out as we, as we begin to dive in. If you want to actually turn your Bibles to Acts 7. Acts 7. What would it look like if we had kingdom tenacity? What would it look like if we were tenacious, if we were persistent, if we were stubborn for the things of God, the work of God, and the mission of God? In Acts 7, 8, and 9, I want to look at a life of tenacity. I want to look at a life of persistence, a life of stubbornness, and what happens when tenacity goes from self-service, for when this persistent sense of stubbornness is moved from like, it's all about me, to a sense of, it's all about God, and what He wants, and His name, and His glory, it's a... The Apostle Paul, or in the context that we're going to jump into, it's Saul. Um, So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, um, you know the church has been growing and advancing um, through Peter. And uh, Stephen uh, has an opportunity where he speaks boldly the truth of the gospel. And just at the heels of that, we have this encounter in Acts 7, verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they grounded, they ground their teeth at him, but he, talking about Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, that's Paul. Most of us know that. That's Paul. The feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell Asleep. And Saul, chapter 8, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Hey, listen, that's tenacity. He was devoted and committed and stubbornly persistent to the destruction of the people. Now jump over to verse or chapter nine. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, okay, before before Christianity was called Christianity, it was called it was called the way. 
so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's crazy. Is that Saul lived his life devoted, persistent, tenacious for the advancement of really his own purposes and those that he worked for to see that that the things of God would not move forward, that that the, the kingdom of God, that the movement of Jesus Christ would be stopped. That was his plan. That was his, what he was devoted to. Now, many of us know the story. What's about to happen? God's about to get a hold of his life. Okay? When, when tenacity for self moves to a tenacious, persistent pursuit of the Lord. Like, think, about, think about the definition of, of tenacity. Okay, a, a determination, a stubbornness, a persistence, clinging and adhering closely. Think about that. Like, think about that defining the means by which we see God, the means by which we worship and know God. Now, keep reading. Back to chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Okay, like, listen, the Spirit met him on that day. Like, that's my prayer for us today, is that this wouldn't just be, hey, we come to North Church, and we sing some songs, and we do, like, we know, like, yeah, I'm going to preach for a little bit, and then we're going to do some response time, and sing some songs, and then we're going to go, like, have, like, that the Spirit would meet us here. Like, the Spirit met Saul here in the midst of his tenacity for self-advancement and he stopped him in his tracks and he opened his eyes well he closed them first we'll get to that here and then he opened them but he says uh, verse 6 but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened he saw nothing So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drink nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Hear my Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has been seen in a vision. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So here's what's happening. In the midst of, of Saul's selfish tenacity, God sends someone to him. Now, who wants to be Ananias, right? Like, who wants to be, like, look look at what he says. Um, Verse, but Ananias answered, Lord, 13, I've heard from many about this man, 
Like, stops in his tracks. Like, Saul? Like, a lot of people have been talking about Saul. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests, priests to bind all who call on your name. You want, you want me to go? You want me to go tap him on the shoulder? You know what? Here's the crazy thing is that this is a picture of what God's calling us to do. As he wants to remove our tenacious self-centered pursuits and push us to God-centered pursuits where we're, we're moved into speaking the gospel to people who we're maybe even afraid of. Maybe not because they're going to physically destroy us, but because of emotionally or whatever other ways. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Man, Ananias, he's a fearful messenger. And God says, go. Like, that's what empowers him, is that he's sent. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a bit. Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. How easy is it for us to feel like when God leads us and sends us some, so to a person to have a conversation like that I got to convince. You know what I'm talking about? But God, Jesus is like, I will show him. I'll show him. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Isn't that crazy? Like the transforming power of God on this man's life to make him a persecutor of the church, and the things of God one day, and the next day, the complete opposite a messenger of the kingdom of God. It's crazy. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who, who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he's not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, think about this. Okay, maybe you've experienced that if you're like the kid who grew up, the rebellious kid who grew up and like is now walking with the Lord and you see someone that you knew when you were the rebellious kid and they're like, what? Like you go to church? All right. You know, like you've seen that scene go down before, right? Like that's what's, that's the picture of, an, of a new identity. Okay. They're still calling him Saul here, but what happens? 
they change his name. His name, God changes his name to Paul, saying, you have a new identity. To not, to not live in your self-advanced, tenacious pursuits, but to live tenaciously for my name and my kingdom. Now, we're going to talk specifically about what that looks like here in, here in a second. But, like, here's what I want to say before we, before we dive deeper into this text is this. This picture of identity, it should define us. I believe one of the, one of the fundamental reasons why we as Christians run outside the things of God is we, we've forsaken our identity. And we don't realize who we are in Jesus because of what Christ has done. We, don't, we forget that. We stop believing that. And then we're not sent with that message. But, but think about this. Like, there... This should, one of these types of statements should be true about us if we're believers, if we're Christians. Is there should be people that like should kind of, kind of begin to see your life and be like, wait a second. Didn't, wasn't that person, didn't they used to be completely owned by fear? Like didn't fear used to consume them? And now like, look at their boldness. And look at how much resolve they have in their confidence in the Lord. Or, man, wasn't that person like defined by sexual promiscuity? It just the, the reality of sex just really was their identity and where like, but like, man, like they're different. Like that's not who they are. They've been changed. Or, man, what like wasn't that person so consumed with money and I gotta get more and I gotta get more and I gotta hold on to it, I'm gonna build for myself. And now like look at them. They're so open-handed, and they give. Can you resonate with something? Like, these should begin to describe us. Wasn't that person so prideful? Now look at the humility that they run in and walk in. Wasn't that marriage nearly destroyed? And look at what God did to restore. That person used to have the most filthy tongue Look at the, the, the encouragement and the speech that, that comes off their lips to build up people and love people and encourage and build up the body of Christ. Like, okay, that's an identity, right? Like this Saul to Paul identity begins to change and begins to define who we are so that these types of things that I just walked through become our story, that we're changed, that we once were this way, but we're, it doesn't mean we don't it tends to have a tendency to fall back, like fall back into, but there, there should be a, a movement and some transformation that happens in our lives. Now, here's what I want to do for the last little bit that we have. Is I want to I point to a couple things about Paul's life. Um, a couple things to point out about Paul's kingdom tenacity. Okay, his life revolved around destroying the church. His life revolved around destroying the name of Jesus and the message of the gospel. He wanted nothing to do with God, but he only wanted to thwart the things of God. That was his mission. But what happened when God called him and he saved him? Okay, here's the first thing. He reoriented his life. 
around the mission of God. Okay, let's look at this. Um, go, uh, go to 19, uh, chapter 9, verse 19. He reoriented his life around the mission of God. Look at verse 19. Uh, it says, In taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't this is not the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem? So here's a guy who his life revolved around the ruining of the church. And when God called him, he reoriented his life to live out the purpose of God, what God had called him into. Okay, like, think about this. Think about the rest of the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the Bible. Think about the rest, like, Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Okay, so it wasn't like what we have the tendency in like cultural Christianity, which is dying, by the way, and actually being a follower of Jesus is going to become more and more like robust and like, are you really or are you really not? Because it's going to be really obvious. Because the cultural view of Christianity and just being like a cultural Christian, like that's just kind of going away. But here's what's crazy. It's like, so... The cultural Christianity view of Jesus is this. Like, he becomes like your sidekick. Like my buddy, good old buddy, old pal. Right? And he's just like there for you. And like, you know, almost like this genie in the bottle type of like, you know, if you need him, he's there. And he'll give you, you ask, and he'll give you what you need. And he'll offer penance, you know. Like, the, like you screw up and you go to him and you ask for forgiveness. Okay, now, is there an aspect to which a lot of those things are true? Where, I mean, God is there, right? Absolutely, he's there. We run to him. He's there. He's with us. Is he a friend to us? Absolutely. But you don't have to read your Bible long to see that even like the disciples, when God called them, what did they do? They reoriented their life around the calling that God had given them. Now, I'm, I'm going to be frank. Like, that's hard. Like, I even asked Danielle and I were having this conversation this week. Like, what does that look like to reorient your life around, like, the calling of God and the things of God? It's hard. The mission, what's the mission of God? Here's the mission of God. To make disciples. And you know what in the church we often think making disciples means? Is that we, we just need to get everyone in the church doing the spiritual disciplines. Now, should we be other things like pursuits and disciplines as Christians that we should be walking in and pursuing? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But discipleship and making disciples isn't just like, let me take someone who's not really engaging God and let me just get them to engage God. But it goes so much deeper than that because just a, a picture of doing the spiritual disciplines apart from any sense of community, apart from any sense of you're called into a community of faith and that community of faith is then sent out to change the world. What's the point in me reading my Bible in the morning apart from just give me something, God, like help me make it today. 
That's not the epitome of discipleship. And here's my fear as a church is that we, we struggle to make disciples. Now, I'm pointing the finger at myself, okay? I'm confessing myself. We struggle to make disciples, and here's what we've, we have a tendency to make the mission about. The gathering for a few hours on a Sunday morning, which absolutely has a purpose, and you should come and you should be here. And, and community. Come, be together, share life together, serve together. But, but what it can become, if we're not careful, is kind of this like, this AA meeting, like, I'm broken, you're broken, like, we're both broken together, like, let's go to the Lord with our brokenness, and maybe he can help us, but then we'll just be okay with being broken, but never find our brokenness as a means to being sent as the church to people who need to find the hope of the gospel as much as we do. Listen, community isn't mission. We have really good community here. It's not the mission. We want to have better community? Then let's do what Jesus prayed in John 17. I pray that they may be one as we are one so that the world may know. Like That's community. And we want to take our community deeper? Absolutely. We want to be more engaged in each other's lives and do more than just service projects. Listen, I'm not standing up here like rebuking you in a sense of like, you need to follow me better because I don't think I've let out well in, in much of what I'm describing. But this is why I believe the Lord like put me on my face last night and said, listen, that's not what we're saying. This is what we're saying. This is what I'm saying to you as the leader. We need to be reminded of our mission. But the second thing, Paul was reoriented in his life. He reoriented his life around the mission of God. But here's the second thing. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. It says, but the Lord said to him, go. Talking to Ananias about Saul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Okay, here's the thing. Paul knew where he was called. He, he knew where he was called. It's really hard to reorient your life around the mission of making disciples beyond just like, because making disciples isn't just about taking church people and growing them up. It's about taking people who don't believe in the things of God and begin speaking them the, the, the loving nature of the character of God and discipling them into the kingdom of God and into mature faith and then send them out to do the same thing. Discipleship isn't just a Christian, like, church people thing. And, like, the world needs evangelism. No. That's not it. But here's, here's the thing. Paul knew where he was called. I, I asked Danielle this, this week, I said, where do you feel like we're called? Like, wh- where's our family called? And we just began to wrestle with that and, and sh- like struggle with that. And like, like, 
Anybody scared? <laughs> recess. recess. Time for recess. Absolutely. Somebody is like, okay, we got to get this guy quiet. <laughs> okay, so let's think about calling in this way. Um, the difference between proactive and reactive. Okay? Um, when we're engaged in the mission of God to make disciples reactively, kind of, it kind of paints a picture this way. Okay? Um, the reactive side of, of, of living out the kingdom of God is this. Like, you, you take the good news of Jesus and the hope of Christ kind of where you are, right? It's like, so you go shopping, and like, when you come across someone, you have an opportunity to speak, like, kind words to them, and love them, and maybe help somebody out to their car, help somebody pick up something they dropped, or you have an opportunity to maybe have a spiritual conversation, like, like, awesome. Or like, you're out mowing your yard, hey, your neighbor comes out. Oh, my, I'll go over and talk to him, how's it going today, you know, like, and you begin to have a conversation, and maybe like, the, it turns and you have a spiritual conversation. Maybe you don't, or like, no, notice it's very reactive. Like, you go to work, and you, you see the people you work with, and, and you, you have like, kind of reactive conversation to what's going on, and that's, that's, in a sense, reactive mission, which isn't bad, right? Okay? And in many ways, can be very good. God brings people along our path. We react to the movement of God to engage with hope. Okay? But take the, the side of proactive mission. It's this. Where am I called? Where am I called? Now, here's the crazy thing. Is that that answer has, or that question has, can have many different answers. Like one of the things for my family, as Danielle and I have thought and prayed, it's like we feel called as a family to Russell Elementary School. Like, we're going to be there for the next, like, 10 years. And so we're like, gosh, what an unbelievable opportunity to get to know the staff, to get to know the principals. Like, so let's go, let's, let's think about what it looks like to serve there. Let's think about what it looks like to give up some time to be at events and, and give of our time and pray that the kingdom of God would be advanced and disciples would be made in us being there. Like, that's one of the areas where, like, we feel, and, and, and even as I pray through, like, gosh, I got so much on my plate, Lord, I don't, and, and the Lord's like, no, you need to fill out one of those forms to become a volunteer so you can get in that school and you can serve. Like, that's like, as we pray, like, that's where we feel like, one of the areas where we feel like God's called us. Now, here's the hard thing. For, for many that have, well, let me talk to for, for those that have kids, young kids especially, that life is overwhelming, right, with, with a lot going on. And, and even if you don't, it will apply as well. But, like, life's overwhelming. And it's like, well, how can I even begin to think about, like, where am I called and, like, reorienting my life to where I'm called? Like, I, I feel called to my kids. Absolutely. First and foremost, if... if if you have children, you're called to make disciples of your children. But here's, here's where it can't stop there. If you're only called to your kids, you have no avenue by which to teach your kids how to make disciples. Apart from, hey, watch what I'm doing with you or watch what I'm doing with your brother. But no, it's like, hey, we're going to go and we're going to serve. Hey, you're sent out to your friends at your school. 
kids that are in the room, you're sent out. Like when you go to school, when you go across the street to play with your friends, when you engage with your friendships, like you're sent by God to be a messenger of Christ. And a lot of times where we're overwhelmed and we're like, gosh, I don't know where to fit it in. One of two things. One, it may be we haven't reoriented our lives around the mission of God. And two, we're not just living out the gospel where, like where we are. Like, you don't got to like do all this crazy stuff over here and then like make some separate deal over here. Like, where do you run? Like, where do you, like, where does God have you? Acts 17, it's for a purpose. God said the times and the places, the exact places where you would live and work and be in the hopes that men would seek God and find him. Like, you are where you are for a purpose. Now, we can just be reactive with that purpose, or we can say, no, this is where I'm called. And be proactive. And then here's where, here's where it changes the game. In the realm of prayer, okay, where the news no longer shapes how we pray, and like special phone calls no longer shape how we pray, or just the, the, uh, like the un, unseen and random burdens that are expressed to us in our context no longer shape how we pray. Yes, we pray about those things, but when we're proactive and we feel like, gosh, here's where I'm called. Gosh, I'm, I'm called to make disciples of my kids' sports team. And I'm going to invest there, and I'm going to meet the families, and I'm going to love on them. I'm going to invite them over to my house, and our kids are going to play, and we're going to, man, speak the gospel. And listen, that changes how you pray. Because then all of a sudden, prayer isn't this random thing. It becomes, if I'm called to Russell, but I believe my heartbeat becomes like when I pass it, God moved there. And one of the main motivators is my daughter's there. Right? Protect her. Use her. But like when we know where we're called, then we have specific nature where we can pray that God's kingdom would be advanced as opposed to just this reactive, which has a place in, and can be great and God can use it. And I'm sure many of us could tell stories about where someone came into your life and you reacted to them and you had the chance to speak hope to them and God used that, absolutely. But, but Paul knew where he was called. We have to know where we're called. Is it religious people? Some of you can reach, reach religious people like nobody else. Artists? Pagans? Maybe it's students. Some of you have a gift for students. Maybe it's corporate America. Maybe it's injustice related to the poor or orphans or foster care and adoption. Maybe it's you're called specifically to engage in exactly what's going on and get in the heat of the battle regarding Ferguson and the issue of racial discrimination. Maybe it's the unborn and the murdering of innocent children. Year after year after year after year after year. Because I believe it's like Tuesday, that's like the anniversary of Roe vs. Wade. That whole deal was passed. Like maybe God's calling you to engage there. Because here's what's crazy is 
where you feel like you're kind of bored and you're kind of like, like, what are we doing? I guarantee you almost every time it's because you're not sent. And when we, when we forget the mission of God and we forsake the mission of making disciples, what are we doing? And there's a reason why it becomes, it eventually becomes stale and eventually becomes like, you know, how long am I going to sit here and kind of juggle and entertain and like, so I want to, I want to close with this story. Um, So um, for the past five years, my aunt has, has struggled with uh, she was diagnosed with stage five kidney disease, and um, in the process of that, uh, it's been a long, long battle for her. And I haven't had a super close relationship with my aunt. She's lived in Vegas for years, um, and in the process of that, those five years, it's just taken a nasty toll on her body. And uh, she's been on dialysis the whole time. And um, if any of you know anything about that, it's going to be pretty difficult. And, pretty, uh, takes the biggest toll on your heart, and uh, so she had to have a heart surgery to fix a valve, and it's been a long road for her. About three weeks ago, I get a call from my dad, and he's like, hey, uh, your aunt, my sister, um, things are going really downhill, and uh, she's decided to go off a dialysis and just let let things take their toll, and he's like, yeah, so mom and I and your sister are going to go out there, and I was just like, okay, great, I got to be praying, um, and I'm just, I'm just burdened, and next couple of days transpire, and, and I, I just feel like the Lord's like, you, you need to go. And I hesitate to share this story, and I even talked to Danielle, and I'm like, because in no way I want this to look, be like, oh, look, oh, look at me type of deal, because it's, like God did an amazing thing in this trip. Um, so we get online, and we begin to look at airlines, and a book a flight, and um in the airport, and I send a text to several friends, and I'm just like, hey, here's what's going down, and I'm, I'm going out, um, mainly because my aunt uh, wasn't a believer, and, uh, and so I'm like, I'm going to go out and be with my family and hopefully have an opportunity to, to share Christ, and, um, and so I, I sent a message to several people and was just like, pray, like, pray, here's what's going down, please pray, so we got there and spent several days with my cousins and my aunt, and I hadn't seen them in years, and, um, and then uh, the day before I left, circumstances just worked out crazy that I was alone with my aunt for almost an entire day. She needed me to drive her around, she wasn't doing well, and so I had to take her to dialysis, I had to sit with her for like two hours while she did dialysis, and, and all we did all day was like, we talked about death, which was like weird, Right? We were talked. I was like, "Man, are you afraid to die?" And we just talked about what does it look like for like for you to leave your kid. And we just talked about death. And here's what I wrestled with: I'm sitting there, and I'm like, even in this moment where my aunt is in the last days of her life, I'm wrestling to boldly share Christ. Okay, crazy, right? And so, like, this thought went through my head: Dave, do you really believe in a literal hell? And I was like, I'm thinking like theologically. I'm like, well, let's see. Like, and like, the spirit was like, like, do you, like, what does it look like for you to love your aunt? Like, do you really believe in a literal hell? And we're at dinner. Um, at, she wanted to go out to dinner, and it was just the two of us. And, and uh, we're sitting there, and 
like we're talking about life and death and um, and like the Lord just gave an incredible opportunity and I've had several conversations with her in the past about the Lord and it was just like you know no no thanks type of deal and uh, and so like. I just had an opportunity to really just engage and speak the gospel and talk about a literal hell that I really believe in and I really believe that people who don't confess Christ are going to. Um, and so in that moment, I'm like, gosh, this is my aunt, right? Um, and, uh, and so I just began talking to her and, and pressing into her and she's just listening. Like I noticed the Lord begin to soften her. And like that morning, I text several of the same people and I was like, I'm spending a day with my aunt, Pray. Like, I have no ability in myself to, like, convince or change hearts. And so I'm just like, pray. Would you pray? And, like, I know like, she's a very outspoken, very outgoing, like, she's kind of dominates the conversation type of person. And as I begin to talk, most of the time she'd break in with something. And she just listened. And I noticed her whole demeanor kind of, like, kind of stop. And she just listened. I just lay out the truth of all that I believe about the next life and, and the gospel. And um, she begins to ask some really good questions and um, like how, it, how it can affect her and how, how do you become a Christian and all those different types of things. And then um, she, uh, she like quickly changed the conversation. You know? um, and, uh, and so like we got in the car and we went, um, we went back to her place and, and I was just like, like, God's, like God's got to save her. Like, that's my view of salvation. It's God's work. It's, salvation is his work, his gift. He's got to do it. Like, I'm going to be faithful, but he's the one who's going to open her heart and draw her in, not my, my words. Um, and so uh, uh, I, fly out, I fly out the next morning. I'm at the airport, like, 6 a.m., and I send a text to several people, and I'm just like, here's what went down. And I was just like, like, please pray her into the kingdom. And... Uh, and I just kind of like, like hands off, like what, what do you do, right? And um, uh, I, got, I, got a, I got a text from my dad um, a couple days ago, about five days, a week after we got back. And uh, he had called his sister and he shared the gospel with her and she prayed to receive Christ. <laughs> and, and please, please. Okay. And like, like I was just floored, not, not just because my dad like led his mom and his dad and his sister to Jesus like in the last days of their life, but like to see the gospel has power. Like I, there's nothing that I could do. There's, there's nothing that I said a certain way or did a certain way to, con- to convince her. God broke in changed her heart, and changed her life. Listen, in a similar way to the thief on the cross, right? Because the only thing I'm bummed about is she didn't have her life to enjoy the Lord. But you better believe she's enjoying him now with her mom and with her dad. And, here, and so here's why I tell that story. Like that, that trip, I knew why I was sent I knew where I was sent to. And I knew I had one mission, to make a disciple. And I knew I was powerless to make that disciple. 
I knew I couldn't say the, the things the right way or do the things the right. I was powerless, which is why my view of prayer went to, guys, you got to pray. One of my friends in, in, in Houston, he's just like, we're believing God with you. And I, like, that was so strengthening because I was like, I, I don't have the means to change hearts. And so as we think about, as we begin to respond, I, I want to throw out these questions and I'm done. What does it look like for you to have the kingdom of God advancing in your life with tenacity? What does it look like for you to reorient your life and your schedule around the mission of God to make disciples? Where are you called? Where are you called? And how are you reorienting your schedule in your life to see that the kingdom of God breaks in and disciples are made there? And then lastly, where do you tend to be reactive instead of proactive in advancing the things of God? Frederick Buckner says, the place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where God calls you, where are you called? That place is the word, the place where like your deep gladness, like where you're going to boil up with joy and the longing and the cries of the world for something different collide. You find that? That's where you're called. Let's pray. God, you have always been faithful. And you always will be faithful. And God, I just thank you for the tangible picture that the gospel is the power of God to save. And I thank you for saving my aunt. I thank you for, for leading us this morning. And God, uh, I don't know specifically how you want this to work itself out in our hearts as individuals, as a church. But God, I pray your spirit would lead us. I pray your spirit would lead us as elders as community group leaders, as the people of God, to be about the mission of making disciples. And God, uh, may we never forget that we have no power to change lives. So we're desperate for you. We're dependent upon you. God, realign us, recalibrate us to the mission that you've called us to. We love you. and I'm, God, thanks. For your beautiful name, we pray, amen.